0: Welcome to WTS Waikatoor, a radio show and podcast taking a look at the quirkier people, groups, and interests in the region. I'm producer Gary Farrow. From a hay bale lined dance hall in Arkansas to the Redoubt Bar in Teowamutu, country music performer James Ray has come a long way. But how did he end up in the Waikato of all places? We met in Te wearing masks and practising social distancing so he could share his story on WTS Lockdown Edition.
1: Had love he held her in his arms his first love was his first guitar she was standing all alone in a second yeah okay well what i do is i'm an entertainer i'm a performer Um, country music is 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 my forte with my my hillbilly accent from arkansas so i um perform where they want a crowd if if they want a crowd then i'm i'm kind of their guy because i have i have a, a a pretty good following that will follow me to different places and venues um, and I love entertaining I, I'm a singer-songwriter so I write songs as well but you know when when you're out there entertaining people you do what they want to hear and sometimes it's my songs, sometimes it's not my songs so um, I'm happy to do requests and um, when when the old lockdown hit that kind of put the old uh, brakes on entertaining because I could not draw a crowd they didn't they didn't want crowds you know that was a public enemy number one type of thing, so it's like first thing goes is entertainment and it's probably the last thing that comes back online as well, I guess because um they got to make sure they can accommodate the crowds and in in you know under the restrictions and so um I had a lot of people that that's that's their weekly that is their week Oh, hey, thank yeah, you. That is their weekly um, outing. You know, they, they look forward to this. And during the very first lockdown, I probably went the first week or whatever. Um, just everybody was kind of in shock. Like, what's going on? How, what's happening here? But I think by about the second week, um, I started embracing the idea um, of Facebook Lives. So I started doing these live performances. And I had a, um, a good following on Facebook, and that's where I usually would let people know um where I 'm performing and that type of thing and um, when um, when we went into the the lockdown then um, the lives started finding a, a place and then so a lot of a lot of the people started coming uh, depending on those lives to kind of keep their sanity so to speak because when they were on online they were able to talk with their friends and stuff you know. As, as the they have the little, the scrolling thing that goes by as as you're um, as you're performing you know they can re- request songs and you can call them out by name and say "Hi hey, Colleen, hi, Tony
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: that type of thing hi hey, gary you know and 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 even though I wasn't getting it back, you know they they could send up little stars and thumbs and all that stuff you know let them know that they're being seen and I think that's probably the the most difficult part about these lockdowns for entertainers for people that like you know that like to socialize is that isolation. They really feel alone. And by doing these um, these lives uh, the those words great. Thank you. No um, by doing these lives, people were still getting to feel connected, maintaining their social distances, but uh, maintaining virtual connections. And so that was pretty cool. And then um, because People really enjoy it. I was getting messages all the time. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. And I thought, okay, well, I am still serving. Because initially I thought, well, an entertainer, you know, I've obviously picked the wrong industry because I'm not essential. (laughs) So, yeah, that's kind of how I've maintained the, you know, doing what I do and serving. Because I see see entertainment for me as a service. You know, um, and it goes hand in hand with hospitality. Um, It's all part of the experience that people have when they go out. You know, creates an, an ambience, creates an environment, creates a, a feel. They enjoy their dinner, they enjoy their company, they're socializing. Uh, dancing, I have lots of dancers that come to my shows, whether it be rock and roll or line dancers, you know. Um, yeah, so it's... Uh, and, and apparently they still got to do that while I was in lockdown. They would put, they'd uh, cast the, the Facebook uh, post up to their TVs and, and get in their lounges or in their garages and, and keep it going. Hey, cool. and those honky-tonk dudes was a way of life Cause he was chasing the dream The only one he's ever known And it's taken him a long way from his home And Daddy's old guitar, his only friend it seen But together they live a life chasing the dream You know, I guess, I guess maybe when I first started out 40 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, there, there, was, there was probably some ego involved, you know. You're thinking, oh, I'm, I'm a performer, blah, 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 you know, because I was 10 years old, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, you got attention and stuff. But through all these years, you realize how, how much it brings people together, and you're just, you're just the excuse. You're not really the focus. It's You see them dancing, see them talking, you see them uh, getting to see their friends again. And um, the entertainer is just really just the excuse. You know, oh, let's go out and see James Ray tonight. And that's how it works. So, so ego gets checked, you know, years ago, you know, mm-hmm. that you really are just there to provide a service. So I don't mind if they ask me to do Wagon Wheel 10 times. If that's, if that's their happiest place, that's their happy song, that's mm-hmm. what I'm there for. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm one of those people that tend to go into a venue situation where, um, and I, I'll tell them, "Hey, what's what is your worst night? What's your worst worst day of the week?" And I will build you an audience around that that night. We'll theme it and we'll build you an audience around that night. <laughs> I looked around town. and I thought, "Well, what's what's you know a place?" And I found the readout on the, uh, in, in Talmute, and because um, it was right there on a, a, a main street as you come through. And um, I asked them, I said, hey, what is the worst night of the week you have? And, you know, I know you have entertainment on Friday and Saturdays. I said, I don't wanna mess with that. You know, I don't, I don't wanna be a Friday, Saturday night kind of act because I'm not. And they said, oh, Tuesdays are terrible. You know, We just, Tuesdays are dead as a door now. I said, great, Tuesday it is. And uh, so we turned it into steak and country night. And that's been over five years now, every Tuesday. Ooh. and it, a, an owner bought it an, another guy bought it new owner and he said well we got to keep the country thing because Tuesdays are our best nights <laughs> you know so Tuesdays are as good as or yeah some of their best nights we have, even above Friday sometimes mm. you know, on
0: Saturdays mm. how did you end up here in the Waikatoa having come from Arkansas well spent the first 16 years up in um, in
1: Auckland Meta Kiwi grill in Arizona yeah, you know, the big, you know, she said good day to me. Now, at that point, the only time a hillbilly from Arkansas ever heard the word good day was Crocodile Dundee. Yeah. So I immediately thought Australia. Wrong. Yeah. So she said New Zealand. I go, hmm, where's New Zealand? <laughs> and I think at that time, what was that? That's, yeah, because I, I just celebrated my 21st. I've been here for 21 years. Um, at that time, New Zealand as such wasn't that well known in America you know it wasn't. you know the Lord of the Rings hadn't come out yet or any of those that you know once the, once that started happening then, then New Zealand started getting on the on in our consciousness if you will and um, so um, so yeah met her and um, she came over here and we lived over here for um, about six years and she decided she wanted to go live in South America and I'm like eh, I want to go to South America I thought maybe I'll go back to America or something, or maybe even Spain, because I, I toured with Bob Dylan for a number of years in the 90s, and I really enjoyed my my time in Europe. So I thought maybe I'll go to Spain, and then I met another Kiwi girl, got married, got married, had a kid. She's 14 now, and um, Auckland was just getting too crowded. So about six years ago, we said that's it. We got this little one that needs to go to school. It's getting crazy up here. It's too hectic. Um, Let's see where else our options go. And as it turns out, the one that came up for us after about 18 months of looking mm-hmm. uh, was right here in Tiawamutu. Mm-hmm. And then you asked about the venues before. So I started playing at the readout in uh, Tiawamutu. And at that point, it was family-owned. And, and, um, and the brother and the son also owned a readout in Matamata. So they said, hey, you gotta, you got to be this country guy. Get him over there in uh, Matamata on a Wednesday night. And, and Jacob says, "I don't know if it will really work over here. You know, people. I just don't know." And so he said, "Let's let's let's give it a couple weeks, five years, and we're still doing it. You know. So obviously, it's things that work." And then, um, then they had another uh, family member that owns the the Thirsty Weta down in Otra He says, "Oh, he says, can you do what you do on Tuesdays and Wednesdays in Otra on a Thursday?" And they go. Yeah, sure. And uh, then that got bought out. And as it turns out, it was the same guy that owns the readout now in um, in Chalamutu. So now he owns the Thirsty Wedding. So now I go down there on a Friday night. Uh, because they decided they wanted to do Friday nights down there. So I so, said, all right, cool. So that's that's my week. And then the Hamilton Workman's Club, usually on, on Saturday nights with the, with a band. Because I have a, a five-piece band as The owner told me... He buys broken dreams Dream chasing guitar pickers Just like me Now I'm chasing the dream
0: James Ray even spent a few years touring in support of Bob Dylan
1: A long way from my home Dumb luck I guess Right place, right time, who you know um, I was living in Nashville. I had gone, moved to Nashville to be a singer songwriter. Um, and um, I thought, well, as long as I'm here, I might as well get my, my degree. And I got a bachelor's degree in business administration, copyright law, contract law, all that. Because if I'm going to do this music business thing, I need to know what the business side is. I'm sitting in the dean's office one day. And he said, "Excuse me, I got to take this call." So he took the call, and he covers up the phone. And he says, "He says, hey, you know how to tune guitars, don't you?" Yeah, I go, mm-hmm. "He's oh, yeah." I said, Yeah, I said, to tune my own guitar." And he goes, "Yeah." He says, "I think I got the right guy for you right here." And I'm like, "What?" He said, "Would you like to, you know, go on go on tours on, on the weekends, you because know, you you're doing school during the week?" I said, "Yeah." Who is? And he said, "Susie Bogus." I don't know Susie Boggs, is, but and he says, and he says, how much does it pay? And he says, oh, he says you get you know 150 bucks a gig. I'm like, sweet, you know, I'm a college kid, yeah, your university kid. I said, yeah, okay, I can do that. So started doing that with Susie Boggs, become her uh, guitar tech and stage manager. And she had a steel guitar player named Bucky Baxter, and he'd been working with Steve Earle. And when he wasn't, when he wasn't doing, because um, uh, it was actually he. Bob pitched Bucky from from Steve Earle because he wanted a steel player in his band, and so when um, Bucky started working with Bob, he says because he knew me from Susie, he says I want I want Jr. to be my my guitar tech. I want Jr. to be my man, you know, and. Uh, and I remember getting the because back then we didn't have cell phones yet. <laughs> I remember getting a, te- a page, you know, a text or um, yeah, just
0: yeah, a little uh, a buzzer. Yeah, a little yes. buzzer thing.
1: So, and I looked, i like, hmm. I don't know that number, so I went, you know, on my break, went and called it, and it was um, the production manager for Bob Dylan. He says, hey, he says, uh, he says, Bucky seems to think that you're the the man for for us, you know. He, he needs you to be on tour with us. I go, yes, it. I said, I'm not really interested. I'm doing my university. And he, and he says to me, he says, look, he says, we're, we're in France right now, and we need you. And I go, you know, France, okay. I said, I've never been to France. I'm like, okay. And so I said, well, I said, but I just started school. He says, well, what do you need? How much money do you need? And I'm like, what? And so I thought, well, I'll be, I'll be gracious about this. I'll put this, up, this price up to a point where he'll have to say, oh, that's too much. Never mind. And he says, "Okay." He says, "We'll do it." And he says, "I'll send you cla- your, your uh, first-class tickets to fly over tomorrow." I'm like, <laughs> "So this is back in the days of FedEx and all that type of stuff." So I had, and I went back to my professor and I go, "What do you think? You know, should I do this?" I said, "He's doing all this," and he's like, "Who'd you say?" I said, "Bob Dylan." I said, "Do you know him?"
0: Because
1: I, I wasn't a Bob Dylan fan. Yeah. And uh, he goes, "Oh man!" He says, "You got to do it." He says. Nope, he says, you can't pass up a chance like that. I go, really? I said, but, you know, I want to be a singer-songer. I don't want to be a guitar tech. He goes, no. He says, you get your foot in the door however you can. And so I said, all right, fine, fine, fine. So um, he says, and we'll help you. So, he, you know, we were doing faxes. This is back in the days of faxes as well. So we're faxing my assignments back and forth to Europe and FedExing my assignments. So I continued to go to, to university while I was touring with Dylan and man what an experience you know i look back on that now i think i wish i would have appreciated that more because at the time it just seemed like an inconvenience (laughs) but but what a story you know it
0: turned out to be yeah it it sounds like one of those stories that i'm hearing more of as the years go on of nashville being the place to be to get those connections it's it's almost like magic how you just go to Nashville and you key into it I wrote a song <laughs> called
1: Chasing the Dream and it really
0: is about who you know yeah it's a who you know town
1: persistence you need to be there because you just don't know who's in the audience hmm. you don't know who you're going to be um, sitting next to conversations strike up I mean you've you got to be there hmm. and uh, everybody knows that so they're really nice and quite often, the person that would have just brought you your 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 lunch or cleaned up your table is a, a budding singer-songwriter. And I used to go to all the open mic nights. Mm-hmm. And that guy, they you know, they'd call up you know the name or whatever. He'd take off his apron. He'd go up there, and you're like, "Holy cow, this guy is awesome!" You know, mm-hmm. it's like he should be a superstar. <laughs> and um, and that's, the town is just full of that. And so um, you realize it really is about persistence. You know, because there's going to be so many people in that line, um, with with talent, just uh, unbelievably talented people, and um, it is a who you know town, and so you, you hedge your bet, so to speak, and you, you make all the rounds, and and you're nice to everybody, you know. Yeah.
0: And then coming here from Nashville, obviously you had the the skills and the now to get into the um the circuit here funny thing here was here though when i came here
1: um there was no country music but still no country radio stations mm. so there there wasn't really in Auckland because that's where i started off country music wasn't really considered i don't know viable i don't know because uh, anytime somebody said, what well, do you do? I said, well, I'm a musician. Oh, what kind of music you play? Country. Oh, really? We mm. have to go to the country clubs. I said, country clubs? Mm-hmm. Now, for me, a country club was at the 18th hole on a golf course. So I went down to the Pro Country Club, and I said, um, I understand you guys like country music here. And they go, what? No, this is a golf course. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I said, but it's a country club, right? And they go, oh, they mean country music club. And I go, what's that? What's well, a country music club? And so I found out. Never had anything like that in America. My country music club was a honky tonk or a bar or you know something of that nature. And we didn't, you know, we called it a club, but it wasn't a club. It's just where you went and had your music and you dance and whatnot. And um, so I got a, a that was a, a big eye opener that there's not a country music industry here like there was back home in Nashville and whatnot. I mean that's that is a viable industry you know people don't turn their nose up at country music in america not on the, not on the west coast not on the east coast you know it's it was one of the it's the big one of the if not the biggest selling genre in america and so coming here it's like oh well that's interesting new zealand doesn't really get this country music thing it's certainly not mainstream country as it turns out because um, i know that's part of what tammy did she kind of she she Found her niche more in, in almost a retro sound, you know, and a retro look. Whereas in, in America, you know, they're all kind of going towards, you know, back then they were going for the Faith Hill, you know, the pop country and, and the Shania Twain's and that type of stuff, you know. And um, coming here, it's like, okay, well, I'm I'm not a pop act, you know. At best, I can do classic hits and easy listening. But I'm just a down home country boy, just a simple little Arkansas hillbilly, and Simple, you know, simple songs, simple, you know, just feel good. I, I call it real good, feel good, sing-along country songs. And that's what I like to, to share with people. And and it's it's worked to the degree that people can connect with it. But as far as the industry goes, I tried to plug into the, the Auckland music scene. And, oh, man, you talk about feeling like a black sheep, you know. Mm-hmm. You know I, I was really the odd one out. And I thought, okay, maybe the New Zealand music industry just isn't, isn't my place so I thought okay I'll just go back to what I know you know and so I never went never went to the the big shows or the big events or whatever um, I just went right back into playing my honky-tonk well you know call them honky-tonk but the bars the venues where the people were grassroots type of stuff um, I did I did the little club the country music club thing for a while and um, some people loved me and some people hated me you know they're like nah, he's too professional he's too polished. So he's he's not one of us or something of that nature, you know. And they got really upset that I was in their awards, and was winning their awards. And uh, I didn't mean I didn't want to cause any trouble. I just wanted to a country music audience, you know. And um, so I found out okay, well, I'm best just to kind of pull out of that scene and just kind of create my own path, so to speak. Which what I know is connecting with people, you know. And and, and it ends up being in the little bars and the little you know. Festivals and that type of thing, and so that's kind of how I've how I've managed to squeak by a living in New Zealand as a as a professional entertainer. Yes, together we we'll live
0: the life, chasing the dream. Is that what you experienced about in the United States as well um, when you were when you were growing up?
1: Uh, yeah, when I, when I was growing up, yeah. I grew up in a, in a northwestern part of Arkansas, which was um, right in the middle of the Bible Belt. So, um, hardcore Christian values, and the venues, we lived in an area called, they call it dry, because you weren't allowed to buy alcohol. So, the only places that you could kind of go to socialize were the Moose Lodge or the VFW, which is the same thing as an RSA, the Veterans of Foreign War, um, and those type of organized things. So the general public didn't have much. So my, my dad, um, I worked out one summer hauling hay, hauling hay, and I was also tutoring kids in school. So I was probably 11 or 12 years old, and I made $800 that summer. And my dad said, what are you going to do with your with your money? I go, I don't know, maybe invest it in, in Walmart stocks or put it in the bank. He's like, no, no, no. He says, don't do that. I said, what do you mean? He says, no. He says, that's a waste. You don't know what's going to happen to the market. Banks, you know, they don't pay enough. And uh, I said, Well, what do you think I should do? He says, Invest it in yourself. And I go, What do you mean in myself? And he says, Well, he says, I'll tell you what we'll do. And he says, We'll go hire a hall, we will build a bandstand, and we're going to start ourselves a weekly dance. You know, Friday and Saturday night dances. Because he saw a, a, a need there. People wanted to gather, people wanted to come together, they wanted to, to socialize. Um, and so, um, I said, "Yeah, I don't know if people do that, Dad. I'm only I'm only like 11, 12 years old. People aren't going to come to to hear me play and sing." At that time, I probably only knew 20 songs, and uh, they wanted to do a 12-hour night, or uh, sorry, not 12-hour, uh, a four-hour night. And um, I thought, "No." Nah. He said, "Well, tell you what?" He says, "If it doesn't work, he says, I'll pay you back half of it."
0: <laughs>
1: and so my dad, he believed in it so much. I said, "All right, fine." And so it was going to be three dollars a head or five dollars a couple. So we set this up, and probably only had I don't know two or three weeks to get this old. It was a garage, and old greasy, greasy floors and everything. So we had to get in there and clean it up as best we could. Put hay bales all around. Built a stage up in one corner, and uh, put in pool tables. And back, this is back in the days of uh, uh, um, Space Invaders that just come out the video game. Mm. So we had those back over in the corner over here, so people could play that. And as you come through, you could um, you could buy um, Pepsi products and their little their little cups, and whatnot. So, Dad was he was on to it, man. And um, like I said, three dollars a head or five dollars a couple. And um, he um, that first that first weekend, Friday night, I want to say we, we cleared somewhere between eight and twelve hundred bucks. And then the next night was the same thing. And then it became every Friday and Saturday night. That's what we were doing. He quit his job. And that's all we did was those weeks. So, man, I spent all my time learning new songs and practicing and whatnot. And um, he thought, I got a cash cow with this little boy. (laughs) And like I said, they weren't coming to see me. But my little ego didn't know that at that time. We were just the excuse for them to have a place to gather, to dance, to sing along. You know, Of course, you sang all the songs that... That they loved and knew, and so I guess I learned from that that at the time I didn't know that, but looking back on it, it really was about giving people the opportunity to connect and socialize. Sending out lots of because I know this is a tough time for everybody in the lockdowns and coming in and out, so I just send out lots of lots of love and, and good feelings for everybody to stay safe, you know, keep well, stay sane. And when you do get to come out and see me, you know, practice all the the safety things, all the safety protocols, because quite often um, my supporters love to hug and shake hands, and right now we can't do that. And I and I, I feel, you know,
0: mm. Now you need to do an elbow exactly, bump. Exactly, <laughs> got the elbow
1: bumps, and and um, so yeah, everybody just stay safe and just practice these safe practices while we're while we're in this situation, because uh, it's real. You know, COVID mm-hmm. is real. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sooner we can get get on top of this thing, the more soon we can go back to proper hugs and handshakes.
0: Thanks to James Ray for being the subject of this episode of WTS Waikatur. If you liked what you heard, you can like the show on Facebook or find it wherever you get your podcasts and of course, stay safe and be kind. Thanks to Free FM, the Community Access Media Alliance, and New Zealand on air for making the show happen